Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1054. Yesterday, we looked at 12 key dates in the Old Testament. And what are we doing? Trying to help you to break down the Old Testament into the key time periods, which help us to understand God's redemptive history. Also, I have talked to you about the two key covenants, I believe, of the Old Testament that relate to salvation. That is, the men to whom the promises, the unconditional covenants were made, Abraham and David. I hope you can see what I'm trying to do is lay the groundwork so that when I go through as a whole over a period of a week and go through these time periods and go through the key people, go through the entire redemptive history of the Old Testament, then I can say you can check back and listen to this podcast or that podcast and you can put everything together. I hope that this will help you. Also to help you, I'm going to be putting on TonyCrisp.org after around the middle of March After we get through some of these podcasts, I'm going to put all of this in writing on there in chart form and list form so that you can go through and download it yourself. Now, it's not on there now in any form that you can really get a lot out of without digging, but I will put all of this into charts and graphs and so forth so that you can have this to download to use to teach. Because you see, what I want to do is not try to convince you that I know these things. I don't have to do that. I'm too old for that. What I am doing is trying to make available some resources that will help you to teach and preach the Word of God better, but ultimately for you to know it yourself and know it like the back of your hand, where it becomes a part of who you are. When you do that, then you can begin to put people and events in their proper places where you can put the geography together. Why? Because I want to teach you the linguistic, the historical, the geographical, contextual method of studying the Word of God. Because I believe it is the way that God's Word is taught and remembered and taught to the next generation. In other words, you talk about the places, the people, the events, the language, And those things begin to form a story that then you can pass on to someone else, and it makes sense. And even the cookies will be put down on the shelves where the kids can eat them. And that's what we need to do. You see, I am so sick of listening to Dr. Smellfungus, that person, that make-believe person that will tell you all that they know, but they never help you to know how to find that same stuff. That's where a lot of academia is, and that's where many times our seminaries are. When you get out, they understand it, and you know they understand it, but you don't understand it. I have used all kinds of illustrations down through the years, but what I want you to understand is there's a lot of people, a lot of people that have a whole lot of water in their bucket. They just can't give anyone a drink. 
And so I want to give you a drink. I want to quench your thirst. I want you to get in the Word of God and learn these things. And many of these things I've already dug out, and I'm not the first one to dig them out. Others have, and I have stood on the shoulders of giants. I've studied under some of the greatest men of the last century, and I am so grateful to God for that. But to whom much is given, much shall be required. And so what I want to do today is give you some of the key prophetic periods of the Hebrew prophets and help you to understand kind of their territory, where they were, where they ran, where they, what, what was their, what we would call their stomping grounds, and help you to understand maybe to whom they prophesied, some of them, and some of these places you won't be necessarily familiar with, but especially those that related to Israel and those right around them. Some are writing prophets, some are not. For instance, what I mean by writing prophets, the first two I want to talk to you about is Elijah and Elisha. Now, remember, in 931, the kingdom split in two. At the death of Solomon, Rehoboam, Solomon's foolish young son, came to power. He would not listen to the elders. Instead, he ran with those that grew up in the palace with him. Now, think about that. Nobody that he consulted his age had grown up like ordinary people. They were all in a bubble. There weren't any farmers and commoners there, but the Bible says that Rehoboam consulted his friends that he had grown up with. That is all of the king's friends. And and you see, it's real easy to get into an echo chamber. And by the way, that's not just true with Rehoboam. That's true with all of us. Listen, if you're the smartest person in the room, I'd get out of it pretty quickly. I try to be around people that are a whole lot smarter than I am in many areas because I learn from them. I tell you, it frightens me when I'm the brightest guy in the room because I'm not the brightest light there is. And I want to be around people that I can learn from and grow from. And yes, I want to be able to give, but I have plenty of opportunity to do that. I want to learn from those that are all around me that have already walked a lot of the ground that I have. So when the kingdom split, 10 tribes bolted north and Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which, by the way, his epitaph is always who caused Israel to sin. I'll tell you the story later on, but basically he was a leader in Solomon's army and in his entourage of leadership. God chose him to be like David. But the two were totally different. When I'm teaching leadership many times, I take the two lives of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and David, the son of Jesse, and compare them because God said he would build for Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the house likened unto and a dynasty likened unto the Judaic kings. But indeed, he did not because of disobedience. And so in the period of the divided kingdom, which lasted from 931 down to 722, You had prophets who were writing prophets and those who were not. Now, Elijah, who was a Tishbite, came from Tishbe over in what would be modern-day Jordan today. He came just like a meteor in the night, just out of the dark. And he didn't last very long, and he went out, by the way, in a chariot of fire. But Elijah prophesied, I would date him somewhere from 785 southward toward that, and Elisha at 850 to 800, somewhere in that range, uh, just so you can have some general ideas about the time that they prophesied. These were during the days, you remember, of Baal worship that had been brought in from the Sidonians. So Elijah, whose name meant, my God is Yah, that was his name. That's right, who he stood for on Mount Carmel. 
As these prophets prophesied, they had a particular territory or king or kingdom that they usually were assigned to. You would have someone, perhaps, like Obadiah, that would be outside of the realm of Israel, or Jonah, who would be outside the realm of Israel, like Obadiah to Edom or to Jonah with Nineveh, the Assyrians. God would send Hebrew prophets to them to give them his word. And I'm telling you, Jonah was very effective, reluctant, stubborn, a baby, but God used him. Aren't you glad God uses people like that? Joel, a great, great prophet. He prophesied around 830. I'm I'm giving you these prophets that were early on. Then you have Amos and Hosea. You have Isaiah, Micah. These were northern kingdom prophets and then southern kingdom prophets. And remember, when the northern kingdom fell after the prophecies of Hosea, many of those people from the northern kingdom fled down to the southern kingdom. Remember, there were so many that fled from the ten northern tribes, others that came to the city of Jerusalem, that Hezekiah had to build a broad wall very quickly, and that broad wall is still can be seen around the city of Jerusalem today. Many of you who have been in the Jewish quarter up on the western hill above the temple, you've seen parts, sections of that broad wall, and it wasn't some manicured stone, but it was just a wall that was put together very quickly from houses, from everything else you can imagine to build up before the Assyrians came and tried to do exactly what they did to the northern kingdom. They tried to do the southern kingdom and God sent the prophet Isaiah and Hezekiah, godly king Hezekiah. He repented took uh, everything to God, and God heard and answered his prayer as king and turned back over 185,000 Assyrians in one night back to their capital of Nineveh. And he spared Judah, and he spared them from that time period all the way down to 586. And of course, you know the prophets of Daniel, of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of those were contemporaries. Daniel was in the palace 605 to during the Persian period. No one knows exactly how long he lived. I would say down well into the Persian period for sure, because he made prophecies concerning Darius, you remember, and you can read about that in the book of Daniel. And so he was in the first phase of the captivity. Ezekiel was in the second phase, the largest phase that I spoke to you about, 597, and Jeremiah was back in Jerusalem. Remember, he was put into a well, and all of that was going on while the Babylonians were coming in to destroy the temple. And so you have the first phase of the Babylonian captivity in 605, the second phase in 597, then the third phase and final phase in 586. God always has his man. He always has his person out there. And so Daniel was in the palace of Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel was out with the common people on the river Kibar, a canal between the Tigris and Euphrates River, a man-made canal. Actually, it's like a river, but it was a man-made canal, the river Kibar. Then you had Jeremiah, who was prophesying back to those that were in uh, Jerusalem. And he was saying, listen, God has brought this about, and you might as well settle down. You're going to be there 70 years. And they were. 
And he told them that they needed to pray for the leadership there. They needed to settle in. They needed to be salt and light. They needed to pray for the prosperity of Babylon. And in doing that, they would prosper. It was fascinating. Then you had the prophets Haggai and Zechariah around 520 to 518, and they prophesied and got the people to working after they had stopped working, building the temple. They laid the foundation in 34, in 534, and then they just stopped for 14 years until the preaching of Zechariah and Haggai. And then you had Malachi about 4.30. But in that in-between period, you had some critical people. You had Esther. Esther, I date Esther somewhere between 4.78 and 4.72. She's a little bit more difficult to date as far as the exact dates. But you have Ezra, who was the great priest, scribe, the sulfur, the scribe. And I date him at 4.58 and Nehemiah at 4.44. And then the last prophet before the Old Testament canon was closed was Malachi, God's messenger. And so all to say, these are some of the key prophets. There's, of course, more. And remember that Daniel, he is a prophet and was a prophet. Jesus called him a prophet. That's how we know that. But he is not in the prophetic writings of the Tanakh. He is in the writings because he tells the history not only of the history that was and vital to the captivity in the times of Babylon and Persia, but also the history that had not happened and has not happened yet, much of what Daniel prophesied, because you see prophecy is nothing more than history written in advance. And so Daniel's in the books of history, but you have these great men and and woman of God in Hadassah that we know as Ishtar, as Esther, and also as Ezra and Nehemiah. And I believe that of all of those post-exilic people, that Ezra was the most critical, critical to developing the Torah portions that are still being used today, developing much of what the liturgy was for the and the study habits, the study times, all of those things that were still reflected 400 years plus later when the Lord Jesus walked on the earth. So all of these things are important if we're going to understand New Testament truth. I hope this helps as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.